Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. This is the Football News and Knowledge Podcast. I am your host, Joshua Bell. We got a lot to talk about today. We're going to be breaking down potentially all the film from week three. I did stay up all of Tuesday night into Wednesday. Matter of fact, when I started watching film, uh, the remainder of the film games that I had to watch, when I started Tuesday night, the sun was still out. And when I finished, it was Wednesday and the sun was up, coming up. So, needless to say, I was very tired this morning. <laughs> but I broke down all the film that I still had to do and kind of feel like doing all the games today. I, I'm not saying I'm going to, but you'll probably be able to tell by the title if I do. With that being said, we I, I would like to first start off by saying that I'm proud of the NFL officiating for not throwing as many flags this week taunt for taunting. In week two, there was 11 flags thrown for taunting, and the NFL said that they believe nine of them were justified. And, you know, I, I don't think that nine of them were justified. Maybe one or two max. Uh, but they went from 11 down to two in week three, and those two came in the Jets-Broncos game. And I'm going to get into this a little bit more once I talk about the Jets and Broncos. But one was on each team. I understand the Broncos, you know, taunting. But if you're on the Jets, you are 0-2 and getting shut out. Why are you taunting? Why are you talking any smack? It's foolish. It's stupid. And it's uncalled for. Um, but with that... There were some bad moments in NFL fishing, which I'll also get into uh, during the the game recap, my notes from the film, one of which being, while it gave us a new NFL record at kicking, or for kicking, it was not supposed to happen. The Ravens, Justin Tucker... Kicked a 66-yard field goal to win against the Lions. And he made it. New NFL record. Congrats to Justin Tucker. Uh, I am happy that I was able to see that with my... Like, watch that on film. And I thought that was really awesome. I uh, will say it shouldn't have happened, though. Because the play before, Lamar Jackson should have been flagged for a delay of game. The clock struck zero, and then for two and a half seconds after, the ball wasn't snapped, and then he finally snapped and threw out of bounds. If they call a delay a game on that on that play, the Ravens, I don't think, win that game. They're, they go from trying to kick a 66-yard field goal to kick a 71-yard field goal or doing a Hail Mary. And I don't think that they're going to be able to get the Hail Mary just because the Lions had been playing some very good defense that game or in that game. But I digress. We'll talk more about that later. Uh, 
there is a little news going on in the NFL this morning. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I just want to phrase it actually like this. A couple of years ago, if I told you or if someone told you that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers would have Tom Brady, Leonard Fournette, Mike Evans, and Chris Godwin still on the team, Rob Gronkowski, Antonio Brown, Jason Pierre-Paul, Nadam Kinsu, Giovanni Bernard, and their newest addition, Richard Sherman, on their team, what would you say? I bet a lot of you would say, that's awesome. You play Madden Ultimate Team. That, yeah, yeah, that's an okay roster. No one would have ever thought that would happen. I remember when Tom Brady was, well, this was only a year, over, well, over a year ago, that Tom Brady was deciding where he was going to go in free agency if he was even going to leave the Patriots. And I told everyone, I, I doubt he's going to. Robert Kraft loves Tom. There's no way he's going to want him to leave. He's going to offer him whatever Tom wants. He will, I, I could have seen him potentially firing Bill Belichick to keep Tom Brady there. I was like, there's no way. And I was shocked to see him leave. Uh... I wasn't shocked to see him go to Tampa Bay. You know, Tampa Bay, it's not that they were like the no or the can't miss team. He could have went to the Chargers and been their starting quarterback, which crazy to think about how that would have panned out. Justin Herbert's not on the Chargers then. Chargers draft. Maybe an offensive lineman, a, a someone else. But who does Justin Herbert go to? Does Justin Herbert go to the Dolphins? I think he would. I think Justin Herbert would have ended up going to the Dolphins. And just think about that. The Dolphins would maybe be the scariest team in the AFC right now. But... It's crazy what the Buccaneers have done, and they continue to do it. I know I had said that the I wouldn't have been shocked if Josh Gordon would have signed with the Buccaneers just because he is a former teammate of Tom Brady's. And, you know, every veteran, as you can tell, wants to play with Tom Brady because Tom Brady will get you a Super Bowl, Super Bowl ring. Uh, but, like, honestly, a couple years ago, I tell you that all those players are going to be on this team. And we'll, we'll even go one higher and say that uh, at one point they would also have LaShawn McCoy on the team. I don't think anyone would tell you, or everyone would think that you're joking. There's, there's no way you acquire that talented of a team. Let's say if it was like 2016, Tom Brady just won the Super Bowl, Leonard Fournette, rookie in the league, looks very promising at running back, Mike Evans, very good wide receiver for the Buccaneers, Chris Godwin just drafted and looking like he 
will be a promising fit for the Buccaneers. Rob Gronkowski, Gronk, you know, he's special. He's going to be able to do anything that he, or he, if he's healthy, he's a different animal at the tight end position. Antonio Brown, when he's with the Steelers, for, for anyone who doesn't like Antonio Brown, just remember how good he was with the Steelers. It was either, every year, you would say that Antonio Brown or Julio Jones were the number one wide receiver in the NFL. Now, I always side with Julio Jones. Not only, and people think that's because I'm a Falcon fan, but honestly, if you threw a jump ball in the end zone, Who's coming down with it? Antonio Brown or Julio Jones? It's definitely going to be Julio. Julio has the height. Julio has equal, if not more, hops than Antonio Brown. And then let's say you're just running a fade or a, a streak down the field. Who's running faster, Antonio Brown or Julio Jones? Julio Jones. Who's the better route runner? I'd probably say Antonio Brown in that. But Julio Jones is right there with him. Who's the more physical wide receiver? Julio Jones. Who was more dominant Who for their team? Julio Jones. Yeah, Antonio Brown was dominant, but they had Le'Veon Bell at one point. They had um, Juju Smith-Schuster. They had a very good team around, uh, around Antonio Brown. Julio Jones didn't always have Calvin and Ridley. And sure, you could say that Julio Jones had Tony Gonzalez at the end of his career and that he had Roddy White at the end of his career. You could also say that, oh, well, Julio Jones had Kyle Shanahan as an OC, but they only really had one good year with Kyle Shanahan. Julio Jones has been the most dominant wide receiver in the NFL over the past decade. And if if I, if you look at how dominant he's truly been, you can argue that he was equal to Calvin Johnson. Matter of fact, and Julio, uh, even though people don't believe he was he stays healthy. He's been relatively healthy his entire career. Yeah, he's dealt with a minor injuries here and there, but he's always either played through it or just been out very for, for only like a game. So Julio, I could compare to Calvin Johnson. I could could Julio Jones. For the start of his career, even with missing so many games, surpassed every wide receiver in every major statistical category except for touchdowns. Because for whatever reason, Falcons never really targeted Julio Jones in the end zone. And he just never ended up scoring touchdowns. But I remember there was a crazy stat until like his fifth year that Julio Jones had, I think, at least one or two 75-yard touchdowns every year for the first four years of his career, which no other receiver had done. Another nuts statistic, or a crazy statistic.
But I mean, I, I don't know how we got or how I really got on to this uh, topic, but it's just really crazy. Oh, because we were talking about Antonio Brown. It's really crazy to think and that the Buccaneers, getting back onto the Buccaneers, have acquired all these talented players or players who have had tremendous careers in the NFL, even though it's at the later stage of their career. It's just nuts. But with that being said, we are going to dive into the week three game film notes and takeaways from each game. I'm going to start off with the Thursday night game between the Panthers and the Texans. We will dive into that in a moment. We are going to take a quick commercial break right before we start. So we will be right back. Welcome back. This is the Football News and Knowledge Podcast. I am your host, Joshua Bell, and we are diving into the Thursday night matchup between the Panthers who went and took on the Houston Texans in Houston. And the Panthers won this game. They won 24-9 to against the Texans. And we're going to just start with the Texans, my, my takeaways from the Texans. The offense, especially the offensive line, of course, struggled against the blitz from the Carolina Panthers. Uh, the offense had solid pass protection against normal like pressure, like three, four-man pressures. But they did have poor run gaps and a poor run game against the Carolina Panthers. The defense had poor pressure on Carolina and just really okay run defense. I will say that Davis Mills can ver- be very solid for the Texans. The offense, though, does need to work on the blitz pickups. Those were my big notes from the Texans game. Uh, it's fun for the Texans, at least. The Texans, I still think they're going to cause a lot of teams some issues here and there uh, and really make teams earn their wins. It does suck, as I'm about to talk about with the Panthers, because they now have Christian McCaffrey and J.C. Horn, their first-round pick from this pa- from 2021, 20- from this previous draft. They both were injured in this game. Uh, with that, Chuba Hubbard or Chuba Hubbard had pretty a pretty good night running the ball. Not not great, but he had a very solid night. And the offense had some good pass protection. The Sam Darnold has some swagger that he did not ha- ever have with the Jets. It's very encouraging, in my opinion, uh, seeing it. He, he, he just walks with a more, 
more confidence. He knows that, hey, I'm going to be the quarterback of this team. Uh, the defense for the Panthers, they had just, if I'm being honest, poor to okay pressure against the uh, Houston Texans. But they had really good blitz pressure, which, I mean, if it's working, the co- the coverage was very solid and the run defense was solid to good, I would say. But the one thing I will be concerned about is how much natural pass rush that they will get in their next games. Because while the Texans' offense and defensive line have played pretty well the past couple weeks... It's not like they're a dominant force. I I can genuinely say I thought that they would have gotten a little bit more pressure on Davis Mills in this game. Natural pressure. But that, that would be one of my only concerns around the Panthers. Sam Darnold also in the pocket. His pocket awareness might be a little bit of a concern as well. He had two balls that he he didn't see the the defender at all hit him and he fumbled and luckily the offense recovered them but recovered the fumbles but if those don't get recovered they were both times they were in deep in Carolina Panthers territory the Texans either score a touchdown or get a field goal at at the very minimum from each, I believe. And I believe on both of those drives where he fumbled, the Panthers scored a touchdown. So that's two touchdowns that would be off the books. And granted, no one knows how the game will went if that happened, but let's just say that they get, uh, that the Texans get two field goals on those off those fumbles. And the Panthers don't get those two touchdowns. And they never get those. That means that the Texans win this game. Not in a blowout or anything, but they would then win 15-10. to 10. So, my only concerns with the Panthers right now, natural pressure on the quarterback. And then there are uh, a little bit of Sam Darnold's pocket awareness. Other than that, also a little bit as well, just their coverage now that J.C. Horn is out. The Panthers did trade for C.J. Henderson, the 2020 Jaguars first overall pick or first round pick. They're, they, he, picked, he was picked ninth overall which I'm going to talk about that once we get to the Jaguars. But that trade confuses me in so many fashions. But until then, those are my notes from the Panthers-Texans game. Now, sliding over to a different game, we are going to slide to the bills and Washington game. And starting off with Washington, the offense looked and played kind of dysfunctional. I'm just going to put it straightforward. They 
they were pretty dysfunctional in the game. They had some solid run game or solid run game and solid pass protection, but too many dropped passes and Taylor Heineke had a pretty hectic day. And as anyone who's been listening the past couple weeks would know, I'm I like Tyler Heineke or Taylor Heineke. He I think he could be a very solid starter and a better starter for Washington than Ryan Fitzpatrick. Now, the defense had did not have a lot of pressure and they had solid run defense, but the Bills didn't really run the ball that much. The coverage was incredibly porous for the Washington football team. And if you don't know what porous means, imagine a strainer. When you strain water, all the water goes through that strainer, and then the pasta is left over. The Washington football team's uh, defense, their coverage, is a strainer that lets the Bills wide receiver, a.k.a. the water, just pass right through. Uh, not a good day at all for... but It just wasn't a good day at all for Washington. Uh, I, While I do want to say that Taylor Heineke didn't have a good game, I would also say that his game would have looked better if his receivers didn't drop so many balls. Um, he did make some poor decisions with his uh, interceptions, but those interceptions did kind of come under duress. It's not like he was sitting in a clean pocket. Not saying that uh, he that every quarterback just has clean pockets, but the, the offense for the Washington football team, I felt, were very underwhelming in this game. For the Bills, the offense was electric. I'm just going to be straightforward. Uh, Josh Allen looks like the 2020 Josh Allen uh, but even better, and that makes me very happy because, as you know, as you all know, I was not very high on Josh Allen these past couple weeks. I thought he looked like he was kind of, kind of digressed or took a step back slightly, but he looked electric in this game. The offense had okay run game. And the pass pro was pretty good. The defense had, for the Bills, had very good coverage. uh, Okay run defense and just okay pressure. The pressure didn't, and when I say okay pressure, like they got a lot of pressure on Taylor Heineke, but like the pressure didn't get to Taylor Heineke. Like, he felt it, but he was able to get away from it and extend the play. And that's why I say, or that's why I mean why I say the pressure did not really get to him. Uh, that being said, both teams, I mean, Washington definitely needs to kind of fix their defense. Their defense has not played well at all this year a defense that I was very confident was going to be 
the key piece for them to re or to win the NFC East again. I, I don't think that they're going to win the NFC East anymore. Especially just wait until I talk about the Cowboys. The, the Cowboys are absolutely looking amazing in my opinion. But we're going to slide over to the Browns and Bears. And let's start with the Bears. And this game was incredibly hard for me to watch. And this is going to be probably a pretty quick game or quick analysis. The Browns offense, keep just plain and simple, was bad. That is all. The defense had good pressure, solid coverage, and solid run D defense. But, and for anyone who said, oh, the Browns ran all over the the Bears. They really didn't. Matter of fact, in the beginning or the first half, the Bears controlled the offensive line uh, at the point of attack against the run. And not until the second half, which is where the Browns always excel is in the second half with their running game. The Browns just lit a fire up on their ass and they just were able to get long runs and big gains every time they ran. So, that's why I said that they had just a solid, or that the Bears had a solid run defense because, quite frankly, they, they did. Um, But I just want to say, wow. The Bears need to fire Matt Nagy. It needs to be done. The offensive plays were so basic. And why is... Why, why does it seem as though... Actually, I can guarantee it is because it looks the exact same. The offensive plays that Justin Fields was running were all meant for Andy Dalton. Which, yeah, I know that you're not going to have like two totally separate offensive game or uh, playbooks. One for Justin Fields and one for Andy Dalton. Like, you're going to have similar, but you... There was, like, no plays that actually capitalized on what Justin Fields does well. And I really felt bad for Justin Fields. It seemed like he... I mean, he he, he couldn't do anything. He really couldn't. The Browns, their offense had okay to solid pass protection. And... They had poor to okay run gaps. And I'm saying poor to okay because the fact that in the first half, those those run gaps were terrible. They were gaining one, two yards max here and there. Usually it was dropped for a loss. And then the second half, it picked up. They were gaining five plus yard runs. Uh, mostly in the fourth quarters when you saw that though. And by that time, the Bears knew it was over. The defense had good pressure, uh, and I late put a note in there saying, yeah, no shit. Did you see Matt Nagy's offense? It's a joke. Uh, because it was. I, I can say, like, when I watched that game, and I'm, this was one of the final games I, I watched this morning, so I might have just been a little cranky, but I looked at that game, and I thought, what the hell is this? This is such a... It, 
it was literally almost, I wouldn't even say it was a college team facing a pro team. I would say it was a high school team facing a college to pro team. That's how bad the Bears were. The Bears offense. The Bears offense looked like high school team and the the Browns played like a pro team. And that's just uncalled for. I I don't know how to feel about the Bears this week against the Lions. If I'm being honest, it I want to pick them because they do have Justin Fields, but I'm not sure. I'm still deciding. Of course, you'll find out those predictions in the Friday episode. But also the Browns, they had good run defense and they had good coverage. But I mean, it that game annoyed me so much and it was one of my final games I watched. I was so annoyed watching all the film looking at you know what what is the are the uh <laughs> the bears doing well on offense and I couldn't find really anything. Now heading over to the Lions Ravens game and I'm going to start this off by saying exactly what I said in the beginning of the show. The Lions were kind of cheated out of their first win of the season. Not cheated, but the the refs not throwing a flag after the play clock had dropped down to zero and sat there for over two seconds is ridiculous. Justin Tucker shouldn't have had or shouldn't have been. He he still had the opportunity to kick a field goal at from seventy one yards away. But, or a Hail Mary, but I think that the Lions got gypped out of a win by poor officiating, and it's sad. It's truly sad, because the Lions have been putting in a lot of fight. I will say that watching that kick, well, I didn't watch it, but I'm like following it, because as you all know, I had the Ravens beating the Lions in this week's matchup and of course i want my predictions to be right but i'm sitting there looking at my phone because i don't really want to watch the game since i'm gonna have to re-watch it and like break down all the film and the coaches film and all that i don't want to re or re-watch i'd rather feel as a new experience but i'm still following it on my phone and i see wow there's only a couple seconds left in this game ravens have no timeouts this game's over. The, Ra- the Ravens are going to lose this game. They haven't been playing well, clearly. And then all of a sudden, I go check my phone again. And it says the Ravens won. And I'm like, what? What happened? And I click on that. I'm like, they kicked a, a 68 or 66-yard field goal. And they made it. I mean, I wouldn't put past Justin Tucker. I mean, the, arguably is destined for the Hall of Fame as a kicker. Probably the best kicker. Definitely the best kicker of the past uh, 10 years. And I would say that he's right up there with Adam Vinatieri for best kicker of my generation. But that kick shouldn't have happened. It, It shouldn't have. And just getting into that film, 
The Lions, like I like I just said, the no call in the uh, delay game took a win off their record. The defense for the Lions had okay to solid pressure and okay run defense. Uh, there was too much, too many blown coverage plays by the Lions. That's the one thing that I am going to point out right away that the Lions blew a lot of coverages against the Ravens. And they were kind of lucky that Hollywood Brown dropped as many balls as he did. Because otherwise, this game wouldn't have been a question. I think the Ravens probably would have won easily. The offense for the Lions had okay to run, uh, okay to solid run gaps and overall a solid run game in general. And they had solid to good pass protection. They played pretty well against a good blitzing Ravens defense. Uh, the defense did a great job with the quarterback spy against Lamar Jackson. The Lions did what the Chiefs should have done in week two and had a QB spying Lamar Jackson. The Chiefs should have at least adjusted in the second half and had someone spy Lamar Jackson, but they never did. And the Lions did, and they showed how effective it is. To just have a linebacker or corner in coverage, kind of in the middle of the field, while still in coverage, just watching Lamar Jackson, going wherever he goes. And I'd say that the Lions, hats off to them. The I think the team should have a win. Right now, the Lions should. And I'm going to pose a idea for the NFL. For all those fans who, all football fans that watch basketball, I'm sure a lot of people who don't even watch basketball know about the shot clock in basketball. When the uh, when a team gets the ball in basketball, they have 24 seconds to either take a shot or have it hit the rim, or yeah, to shoot. Otherwise, the shot clock goes off and the ball is given to the other team. The NFL needs to put into effect, they won't do it this year, of course, but maybe put that into effect for next year, that there's a shot clock, like the the the, the uh, game clock should have a buzzer that just throughout the entire stadium, right when it hits zero, because... The Lions were cheated out of a win. The Lions have been playing very hard this season, and I feel bad for Lions fans because I, as anyone who knows, I I was kind of crapping on the Lions all offseason, saying how they aren't going to do anything good, and while they haven't been biting knees off, they've been taking bites. They, They have been biting, but they haven't been biting them off, and... While they're 0-3, I believe that they could easily be 2-3. Or even 3-3. Because they came back against the 49ers, almost won that game. The Packers game, as I said leading up to that game, uh, that they were going to give the Packers a fit. Now, the rain affected Jared Goff a lot. And... 
I feel as though if that was not a raining game or a rainy day, the Lions have a lot more fight in them. But we'll we'll say they lose that game. Let's say they beat win week one, they lose week two. They should have won this past week. They would be two and three. Or two and one. And everyone would be in shock of how good that they're performing. But with that, let's head over to the Ravens. And the Ravens had, on offense, they had solid pass protection and okay to solid uh, run game. They had okay run gaps. Definitely not as good as they had week two against the Chiefs. The offense struggled. Like, like I said, with Detroit... Detroit had a great quarterback spy system to stop Lamar Jackson, and the Ravens really struggled with Detroit's QB spy. Um, like I said, the Ravens should not have won. The defense had okay pressure and okay to solid run D. They had solid to good uh, gap fill to stop run gaps. I will say that. Uh, and I put in my notes that Justin Tucker is officially the best of the past 10 years to ever or to do it. They, he, he's the man. He's literally the man. And I believe that he is destined to eventually be in the Hall of Fame. And I know that there aren't kickers really in the Hall of Fame, but he, he he he's balling out as of right now him statistically and analytically he's the best kicker of all time and i feel like if he continues down this path he should go in the hall of fame with that being said we are going to take a break and when we return we will continue to break down the film and then at the end of this episode of course i will do the thursday night preview and game prediction when we return after this. Welcome back. This is the Football News and Knowledge Podcast, and we are going to be diving in to the Jaguars and the Cardinals. This game, which many believe... Trevor Lawrence did not play good, that he choked away the win or the potential win for the Jaguars. He had a dumb flea flicker interception, but we're starting with the Jags, and I'm going to be real honest, the offense had solid to good run gaps. They, They had a solid run game overall, and... Like I said, honestly, Trevor Lawrence, he actually played pretty damn good. The flea flicker interception is totally his fault, but that's that's natural. You 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 make dumb mistakes as a rookie. The other interception, I don't blame for him. There's a tip ball interception. Wide receiver has to catch that ball, and the fumble that he had was because James Robinson accidentally, like, jumped, not in, or he, like, was running into Trevor Lawrence's hand as he was throwing. 
I don't put that in Trevor Lawrence. Uh, I actually believe he he had a pretty good game overall, even though they lost and he had two interceptions. I like what I saw from Trevor Lawrence. He, in my opinion, had his best game of the season thus far, and in that game he looked more like a he looked more confident and he was making better throws. The defense for the Jaguars had solid run defense. They had also solid gap filling uh, on the defensive line. The and, and they didn't have good pressure at all. They had very poor pressure, to be honest. They had solid coverage. Uh, but like I said, the, the main thing for the Jaguars and the for any Jaguar fan that's out there... This game was promising. This showed a lot in Trevor Lawrence. I thought he looked very good. He showed a lot of promise. And I think he's going to maybe start balling out a little bit during this season. While I, and the, all the rookie quarterbacks this week did not have good games. I would say that Trevor Lawrence and Davis Mills had the best games. But... Trevor Lawrence definitely played very well. And I look forward to what how he plays this week, to be honest. He's going up against the Bengals tomorrow, and that, that should be a pretty good game, actually. Now getting over to the Cardinals, the offense, like I said, had okay run gaps, and they had good pass protection. The defense had poor to okay run defense overall at best, and just okay to solid pressure. Um, they had solid coverage. Still don't know how good this team is, if I'm being honest. Uh, I need to see at least one more game out of them. I'm going to be doing my like power rankings next week because, as I said, this is the final week that I'm going to be breaking down every game's film. I'm going to, starting next week, only be breaking down the key games or the, the the big games from the week. Or if I want to break down a game based on something that I feel is talkable about and would be enjoyable to the listeners. But the Cardinals, while they look good, I, I need to see a little bit more. As weird as it sounds, they're 3-0. and I know a lot of people are saying, oh, they're 3-0. and What do you mean you need to see more? They're balling out. And they are, but, I mean, there's just something about their team. It, it It's kind of off-putting. I mean, they beat the Tennessee Titans week one. Good, good win. They barely beat the Vikings, which we saw from week three. The Vikings definitely have a lot of fight in them. And then they beat the Jags. Now, if you recall correctly, I did say last week that the Cardinals were incredibly fortunate that a fumble that was recovered by the Vikings, the Viking player only got one foot in bounds before recovering it. If he had gotten two feet in bounds, the Vikings probably win that game. The Jaguars, they played good. I feel like they 
they kind of slept a little bit on the Jaguars slightly. Uh, Jamal Agnew had an awesome 109-yard uh, field goal return for a touchdown. That was awesome. I loved watching that on the film. Very cool to see. I saw the highlight, of course, right after it happened because it was all over social media, including on my er, on Football News and Knowledge's Twitter page, which is the official FNK Live. But the the Cardinals, I it's crazy because we had two record field goals attempts. One which was good by Justin Tucker. And then Matt Prater, who had the previous record at 64 yards, had tried kicking a 68-yarder, and that's what led to the 109-yard kick return. It's pretty... It was an interesting game. I just need to see it a little bit more. I, I think I know how good the Cardinals are. I think that they're proving me wrong based on the season thus far. But... I need to see what they look like against elite talent, and we'll know how good they are after this week. If they ball out against the Rams, and even if they lose, if they ball out, I'm going to be very confident and say, yeah, no, the Cardinals are a legit team. They're a legit Super Bowl contender. If they come in and face the Rams and lay a goose egg, not goose egg, but like a just have a bad game and only score like a touchdown, and, like, some field goals. I'm probably going to say that they're just a slightly above average team. If they laid a goose egg, I would say that they're they're an average team that just is facing bad defenses at that point. Or inexperienced defenses. But, thus far, I, I, I just need to see one more week out of them. Now, heading over to... The Chiefs and Chargers game, which, let's start with the Chiefs. The offense for the Chiefs had okay to solid pass protection, and they had good run gaps. The Chiefs actually had a pretty good run game against the Chargers. The big issue for the Chiefs, there are where, or there were way too many turnovers. There was like three in Chargers territory. That is terrible. The, the Chiefs win this game if they don't have three turnovers and Chargers territory. The defense did not have a lot of pressure. Uh, and they had good run defense, but the Chargers really haven't been running the ball that well this season. Uh, I'm going to say this. This is where the, the officiating was definitely bad in this game as well because there were two pass interference penalties that were not called at the end of the game. The third last play where Tyreek Hill goes down the field and he is covered by like three people. He pretty much was tackled. Tony Romo and the other announcer, I'm blanking on the other announcer's name right now, both said, oh, you're going to have to throw that flag. And that's exactly what I was thinking when watching this film and, like, watching the coach's film and, like, the, the on-field angles of the film. I'm like, oh, that's easily a penalty. And they didn't throw the flag. And 
for those people who say, oh, well, you're just saying that because the, the announcer said that. No, because I was watching the coaches film at first. And I said, oh, that's a flag. I started writing down pass interference penalty because it was that easily, easily predicted. And I look up for a second, like, where's the flag? No flag? Okay. And then finally, the final play of the game. And I know that there's a different set of rules for Hail Marys, and the NFL won't admit it, but there is. But the NFL cannot tolerate what we saw on the final play from the Chiefs-Chargers game. We had Travis Kelsey pretty much get tackled when the ball was still in the air, and then we had Tyreek Hill, while not being lifted up, he was totally being restricted. His arm was being held down by the, the Chargers defender. Charger defender that was doing this doesn't get his head turned around. He's he's totally restricting Tyreek Hill from getting a, play, er, a chance at the ball. And it's sad because NFL players are just like, now just say, well, that's that's just life. They aren't going to call that. But that shouldn't be how it is. I remember with the Patriots-Eagles Super Bowl. And I totally advise, if anyone doesn't believe me on this, Rob Gronkowski and Chris Hogan and Julian Elman are all running downfield. And 15 yards away from the line of scrimmage. And this is the final play. It's a Hail Mary. Rob Gronkowski just gets lit up by one of the Eagles defenders. He's he he gets lit up. He totally gets taken out of the play. Should have been a pass interference on that play. Wasn't called. And you know, I understand like when they're all in the scrum of things, like, hey, you know, like there is gonna be some pass interference on both ends. But not to that extent. If I was an NFL coach, I would be going and telling my my defenders on that final play, hey, let them get 10 yards down the field, light them up. Take them, just knock them down. Just don't even worry about the penalty. They aren't going to call it. Because they aren't. It's And it's bullcrap. The NFL, you know... It, the likelihood of them even catching the ball and getting in the end zone. And I know that there's certain people who are saying, well, even if Tyreek Hill would have caught that ball, he was short of the goal line. Yeah, it doesn't mean he wouldn't get in. And even if he doesn't, hey, if, if it doesn't matter, let him catch the ball or don't, uh, don't have pass interference and just cover correctly and tackle him short of the goal line. Then I wouldn't be complaining about this. And I know that there's other people in media right now that have the same concerns about it as I do. But honestly, we have seen this too much. Like the fact that it happened in the example that I told you with Rob Gronkowski in the Super Bowl. And I promise you, you need to check it out if you don't believe me. Because Rob Gronkowski is completely just decked. And there was no penalty. 
while the likelihood of this happening or of them like catching the ball and getting the touchdown is slim you still gotta like give it the benefit of the doubt because guess what nfl we now have sports gambling which means there's a lot of money that rides on these games and eventually congress will say you know there should have been a penalty on a lot of these plays and because of the uh there was because there wasn't there was a lot of upsets over the past couple of years and i'm saying this is like a couple of years down the road there were some upsets that happened and a lot of people lost a lot of money and you know what now we we kind of need the nfl to answer about this like you know why are you not calling these uh penalties and for those who say like oh you're overreacting yeah i might be but also, it is a genuine concern because there are going to be people who are going to be complaining eventually down the line about penalties not being called. And it it's a concern for my, of mine because I'm sick of seeing this happen on plays like this. You want to be the better team. You want to win the game. Win it the correct way. Don't, don't cheat. Don't have a pat or don't just lay out someone or hold them down from gaining the ball. Just be good, have good coverage. Just do that. And you will win the game. Save Tyree Kill, catch that ball. Fine. Light him up right after it. Doesn't matter. It, you guys still would have won. Yeah, they would have caught the ball, but you still would have won. I, I'm just kind of sick of seeing... I'm just kind of sick of seeing it, to be honest. Now heading over to the offense of the Chargers. They had poor run gaps, and they had good pass protection. The defense forced uh, some good turnovers and made plays when they were needed. And the, the Chargers honestly had some very good linebacker play in the game and good cornerback play, even against the Chiefs and their talented the amount of talent that they have on their team. Uh, they had solid pressure and poor run defense, though, on, on D. And like I said, the ref's not pulling that pass interference penalty on uh, on that play at the end. It, it's bullshit. No call on that is outrageous and it's very upsetting um but i mean that's life i guess that's life now we're gonna head over to the let's see what game is this the patriots and the saints starting off with the patriots the offense had okay pass protection and they did not have good blitz pickups they were very poor against the blitz uh mac jones had way too much pressure in his face when the saints blitzed and nothing was addressed or changed to help him on regards to that the throughout the game like there was no second half adjustment to give him a little bit more time against the blitz or anything of sorts the run gaps were bad on the offense um 
and quite frankly poor the if, if you didn't get that by me saying they were bad the defense had poor to okay run d they had okay run or gap fill and they really had poor pressure if i'm being honest the coverage was solid for the patriots uh and and just like uh trevor lawrence mac jones played pretty solid for how much pressure he he was under i do have major concerns about his deep ball accuracy though although they were always although he he was pretty solid in the game he did have and i've had concerns about this the past couple weeks but i haven't really said it on his deep balls he always seems to overshoot the wide receiver which i mean i guess it's better to overshoot than undershoot but like they're never really on target they, they're never really caught uh and he never really gives the wide receiver a chance at it by overshooting for the ball so that's really my only concern for mac jones coming out of that game otherwise i'd say that he played very solid he for how much pressure he was under the saints just sent waves and waves of pressure just like how they did against aaron Rodgers in week one and it was working for the Saints, but it, the Mac Jones played very well under that pressure. For the Saints. The Saints may have won this game. Jameis Winston had probably the most Jameis Winston game of, his, of the season. And potentially his career. As a Falcon fan, I had to watch Jameis Winston a lot when I was younger, When since the Falcons and Buccaneers are rivals. Uh, and for any person who says, oh, I, I'm a, I, I'm such a bad fan since I uh, cheer on or like root for Tom Brady or whatever, or say how good the Buccaneers are doing when I'm a Falcons fan. No, I'm being honest. The Falcons aren't good. The Buccaneers are. I'm not jumping ship on Falcons. I'm still a Falcons fan. I'm just being honest with myself. Otherwise, I'd be a fan like... I'm just going to use the Cowboys, for example, because they are the most common with this. The Cowboys could have Dak Prescott and everyone on IR for the entire season and have high school uh, players in on offense, and they would still be saying, certain Cowboys fans would still be saying, we them boys, we gonna go to the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 2021, baby. It's like, no. Be honest with yourself. There's certain teams that suck in this NFL right now, and you can honor those teams that are really good, even if they're in your division. Because you know what? While your team might not be performing well, and while they might be a rival, at least looks good that you're losing to a great team instead of losing to a bad team like if the if the jets were losing to another version of the jets every week but anyway Jameis winston had his most Jameis winston game of in my opinion of his career you know, every time you like ran out of the pocket, it just seemed like ah, uh, like lackadaisical, weird running 
I guess you could say. Uh, Saints fans, you guys just need to hope that he doesn't mess up. And and if he doesn't mess up, they they should the Saints should win a lot of games. The offense had good pass protection, and they had solid to good run gaps and a pretty good run game overall. The uh, the defense had solid pressure and very good blitz pressure. Like I said, they they were just sending waves and waves of pressure at Mac Jones. Um, the run D, like I said, was good, was good as well. Um, and the one thing I'm going to say is this is not Jameis Winston's team. If you're going to say it's any player's team, it is Alvin Kamara's team. Uh, not Jameis. And if I'm being honest, I think that they should may consider putting Taysom Hill in at quarterback. And I know certain fans would be like, what do you mean? Why Why do we want a running back at quarterback? Well, first of all, Taysom Hill, when he's in the game, it seems like the offense flows better through him. That the offense is more meant for him right now. And granted, once Michael Thomas comes back, for all we know, Jameis Winston could be a superstar for the Saints. But... I said in the beginning of the season, right after week one happened, you know, I can't wait to watch the film for the Saints and everything because Jameis might be shown what he should have shown when he came out of the draft. And then I watched the film, and it wasn't really him that won the game. Week two, he didn't look great. He looked average. And week three, I think he really looked average. And I think that if you're... Dealing with after, I mean, Taysom Hill, I think, can do the same thing that Jameis is doing right now. And I know that people would say, well, oh, well, you know, Taysom, if Taysom Hill's a quarterback, then we don't have an extra weapon on offense because we can have Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston in the game at the same time. Yeah, you can, but at the same time, Jameis. We all know those Jameis Winston moments where he is trying to do way too much with the ball, and he had one, he had a touchdown pass off of one of those moments against the Patriots, but you can't really afford to have those happen. Like if he, those say those plays don't go the Saints' way, the Saints are going to lose these games, and. Taysom Hill doesn't give you Jameis Winston moments. Yeah, they'd lose a weapon, but I feel like they'd have a better flowing offense and slightly more consistency in at the quarterback position. So I think that they should really consider transitioning to Taysom Hill. Now we're going to head over to the Giants and the Falcons game. This one was in New York. Eli Manning's uh, jersey retirement ceremony at halftime, and John or John Mara was booed during it, and <laughs> Eli had to like come on and tell the fans to knock it off with the booing, 
And that just shows like how how upset Giants fans are with this team, this organization. John Mara after losing from what it's assumed he was the one who knocked down some trash cans in the like suite or the uh, owner's box. And you know, it it's hard to be a Giants fan right now. I've while I had the Falcons winning this game, and it was one of my best upsets of the week, uh, the Giants, I think they played better than the Falcons. You know, the the offense for the Giants had okay to solid run gaps, and a pretty they just had an okay run game, but it was okay to solid run gaps, so that's good. Um, and then they had good pass protection. Uh, they didn't capitalize in the red zone, though. That was their downfall for the Giants. The defense had good coverage, not a lot of pressure, and just okay to solid run defense. The announcer, Jonathan Vilma. I love Jonathan Vilma, but at one point, I just wanted to point this out because I found this a little bit funny. Jonathan Vilma said about Adoree Jackson because Adoree Jackson dropped an interception in like the when the Falcons were in the end, or red zone and Jonathan Vilma acted as though he never drops balls that he always catches them like he's a kick returner a punt returner all that and you know while Adoree Jackson is a very good corner in this league. Like, Jonathan Vilma acted like Adoree Jackson caught everything that came his way. If it hit his hands, he was catching it normally. And while he's a good corner, that was such a, not trying to say idiotic, but like a foolish statement by Jonathan Vilma since Adoree Jackson has only two interceptions in his career that started in 2017 and both of those interceptions were in 2018. I'm pretty sure in the same game actually too. So Adoree Jackson and Adoree Jackson's kind of known for being a guy who drops easy interceptions and has dropped interceptions. Like that's a, a pretty major knock on his name actually. So that's just one thing I just want to say about the announcing. Like, overall, that the Giants played very well. I just want to make that fact known, though. Jonathan Vilma, for Giants fans who are saying, like, oh, I can't believe Dory Jackson dropped that. Like, he, he should have caught that. We should have won. Yeah, he should have caught it, but at the same time, he's known for dropping him. So don't beat up Adoree Jackson too much for dropping that ball because he's not known for that. He's not known for catching the ball. Now, getting to the Falcons, the offense, they looked blah. They really did. They Not not bad, but blah. Just, eh. The, they had okay to solid run gaps. Um, okay total run game in general. And they had good pass pro. The defense had 
poor coverage though and very poor pressure. Uh, they had okay to solid run defense. The this team, quite frankly, confuses the hell out of me. How do you play good on offense and or good on offense last week against the Buccaneers, who are a much better team than the Giants? Like if I said last week, if you listen to that episode. The Falcons showed a lot of emotion. They they showed grit. They they looked pretty good against the Buccaneers. Granted, they, they are a rival, and you are going to play them harder. But they showed a lot of promise for being a tough opponent during the season, and especially on offense. And how do you go from playing this good against the Buccaneers last week to playing this bad against the Giants? And a note that I put in there is that Matt Ryan might not have what it takes anymore. You know, I I, I like Matt Ryan. I have his jersey. It. I feel as though the Falcons should really start the rebuild process. That they should... After this season, or even during this season, if there's a team that needs a quarterback, trade Matt Ryan, pay some of his salary for the remainder of his contract or whatever, and dump off his contract and focus on drafting a quarterback this next year or the year after that. Because... I'm going to be honest, like, Julio Jones wanted to win, and that's why he wanted to leave. He wanted to be on a team that wins. And who says Calvin Ridley's not going to feel the same way? Calvin Ridley went to the same college that Julio Jones went to, Alabama, with Nick Saban, and, of course, balled out, won national championships and everything. I can't help but feel like that he will eventually, once his contract is up, is going to be like, yeah, you can either pay me like a super good amount of money or I want out. And if I'm the Falcons, I'm not going to overpay for a wide receiver when I don't even have a good quarterback. And I know you want to sell tickets. I know you want to sell jerseys, all that. But... This isn't it right now. I, I this game really. I I thought that the Falcons would end up. I thought it'd be a close game, but I did, I thought the Falcons would show more dominance than what they did, and it's a concern for me. They're they're very concerning. Granted, I have said in the past, Matt Ryan does struggle under uh, new offensive coordinators in his first year, but. I think it's inevitable that he is gone after this season and so on and so forth. Or that he, they draft his future replacement. So, yeah, yeah. The Buc- or the Falcons are a big, they're, they're, con- they're concerned for me this season. I, I'm not sure how to feel about them. You know, they... They show fight one week, then they, well, they, 
Start off not showing that much fight week one, which granted it's week one, first game of the season, new coach, new all that. I get it. Buccaneers show a lot of fight. Okay, you guys look like you're going to be good. And then you don't show a lot of fight against the Giants. So it's a, it's a concern. I'm concerned about their Washington football team matchup this week. So, And you'll find out those predictions for that game on Friday. But with that being said, when we return, we will be continuing with more predictions after this break. <laughs> 